I can't tell you how excited I am to have made it up the steps. I was, I was having this vision of being introduced and then just boofing it right on the, right on the steps there. Um, and uh, thanks, Travis, for that, that welcome. And sorry for the sort of dramatic crutch-assisted uh, entry. I had ankle surgery about six weeks ago, uh, five, five weeks ago, I guess, uh, tendon surgery. And uh, I, met, I, I tell people I'm in the just don't be stupid phase of recovery. Any of you who have had orthopedic surgery know what I'm talking about. You start feeling better, that's, that's the, like the danger zone because you just don't want to do something stupid where you re-injure yourself. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm staying on the, on the crutches. Good to be, I'm going to say good to be back with you because I've actually preached here a couple times before, though it was when you guys were meeting at the Peter Kirk Center. So I have no idea how many years that's been. Is it a couple, three? Three years. So been a while, but uh, so I don't feel, you know, like a completely, complete newbie uh, joining you for worship and, and teaching this morning, and, and nice, to, uh, nice to be back with you. Uh, we're, we are going to continue this morning with this Bethany-wide sermon series, and, and uh, oh, we've got our scripture. There was an envelope up there, and uh, because the, the uh, sermon series is called Invitation to Wholeness, and uh, all of the Bethany campuses are, are engaged in this, and it's really about the steps we take, the, the disciplines uh, for us uh, individually and as, as churches to really live into the life God has for us. Um, and it, I wanted to say this, it dawned on me Whenever I'm talking about like spiritual disciplines or steps we take, and, and you know this, but I'm going to say it again anyway, it's all gift. It's all grace. We're not, we don't engage in, in disciplines like giving. I thought you did a great job on the expressing the genera, generosity of God. We, we don't do these things in order to sort of earn God's love and favor We've received God's love and favor uh, through Jesus Christ, and we do these things in response to that. So it's, it's totally grace-based. In fact, I wanted to just quickly share a, a terrific scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And I just think that's a, a powerful reminder of this whole grace theme. We're saved by grace, and then even the good works we do are gifts that, that God has given us. And we are in the words of Paul there, we are to, to walk in them. God has prepared this for us. And this whole sermon series is really looking at some of the, the facets of this life that we've been given uh, through Jesus Christ for our 
blessing and for our enjoyment. And today's theme is relationships. And I hope it's okay, Travis, could we use the synonym community? I mean, is it, that works too. Re connecting with one another, relationships, community. And I'd like to read, now we have our, uh, our scripture up, from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, let's join our hearts in prayer. And so, Father, please bless to our understanding this reading of your word. Speak to us, we pray, through it. Call us forward in our faith. Um, lead us into this blessed life that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some context for, uh, for Matthew 22. Uh, it's found, or what I just read, is found in one of these kind of Q&A sessions that Jesus would have with the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Uh, if you're a reader of the New Testament, if you've read the Gospels, you know they're kind of a handful of themes that, that show up a lot. You have Jesus preaching and teaching. Uh, you have Jesus' miracle working of, of all varieties. You have Jesus calling people to follow him. That's a, that's a theme. Big theme, especially in like the second half of especially the uh, synoptic Gospels, is Jesus anticipating his, his death and resurrection, kind of that final week, big part of the gospel story. And then this that we're looking at today, this kind of ongoing, at, I would call it at times a conflict, but ongoing kind of Q&A, challenge, give and take between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day makes total sense to me that they would be both very curious about who this Jesus was and a little bit threatened by who he was because they were the, they were the establishment, they were the hierarchy, and all of a sudden this, this guy from Galilee is gathering followers and doing these works and it's just amazing. And so they're curious about him. In my own uh, Bible devotional reading, I mean, John's gospel, and there's that great story in John 3 of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who came to Jesus at night, and it leads to that, you must be born again, teaching by Jesus. But it's indicative, I think, of sort of the environment that Jesus was creating. Here uh, in the John story, Pharisee sort of doesn't want to be seen by anybody, comes at night to kind of ask questions of Jesus. In our text, chapter uh, 22 of Matthew, <clears throat> there are a whole series of questions 
the, the Pharisees asked Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus said, well, give me a coin. And they gave him a coin. And he said, whose picture is on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he said, well, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and what uh, render to God what is God's. The Sadducees went next, and they had a, a kind of clever hypothetical. Uh, hey, Jesus, this guy got married, and then he died. He had seven, there were seven brothers. First one got married, he died. So the next brother married the wife, and then he died, and then the next, and it's sort of a ridiculous hypothetical. It makes you wonder about the woman, uh, the wife, a little bit. All seven brothers, again, a hypothetical. And uh, so in heaven, whose wife will she be if all seven brothers had been married to her? And Jesus kind of blows them off a little bit. He says, you know, you guys know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, and he goes on to, in effect, say, you have no idea about the life that's coming. It's not just a heavenly version of this life. Um, then we have our passage that I read, and I'll come back to that in just a second here. And then, again, we're in, in 20, chapter 22 of Matthew. Jesus asked, then asked the Pharisees a question. Uh, whose son is the Christ? And they, they can't answer. You know, he kind of stumps them on that one. And then in, moving into chapter 23 of Matthew, we find what are called the, the seven woes, where they're like the anti-beatitudes. Jesus just lets loose on the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes, and Pharisees. So that's like the broad context of our passage. Our focus today uh, is, though, on this great commandment question of the Pharisees and really the remarkable two-part answer that Jesus gives. He kind of follows the, the template of the Ten Commandments. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, the first part sometimes called the first tablet, if you imagine a stone tablet. Those are all the, that's the Godward stuff. And then the second part is the, the horizontal, uh, the human stuff. And, and so uh, Jesus, when asked about what's the great commandment, certainly acknowledge, acknowledges love for God uh, as critically important and in fact first, but he makes this interesting statement. He says, you know, this, there's a second. They ask for a singular, what's the greatest? What's the great one? In a sense, the singularly great one, greatest one. He says, well, actually there are two. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so for Jesus, the two are inseparable love of God and love of neighbor. Relationship with God, relationship with others. The vertical, if you like spatial visual stuff, the vertical, my relationship with God, the horizontal, my relationship with others. 
and we've been created by, designed by God for both. And authentically living into each of those relationships is the way, again, invitation, we're focusing on the second part this morning, but it is the way of blessing and wholeness. Love for my neighbor, love for the other, a sense of community. And uh, what I'd like to do in my message is take a few minutes and kind of give a big picture sampling of this uh, kind of relational dynamic that is, is in that second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Give a biblical overview, not through the whole Bible, but just some samplings of this teaching. And, and then get real practical at the end. So if you're a person who likes to know, hey, where's this sermon going? Uh, we're going to look at some scripture, and then it's going to get like real, you know, here, here's what we can do in response to this scripture. Uh, so first, right at the beginning of the Bible, Old Testament, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we get kind of two takes on the creation of human beings. Uh, first in Genesis 1, verses 26-27, uh, so God created man, in Hebrew it's the word Adam, Adam. God created Adam in his own image and likeness, comma, male and female, he created them. So there's this sense of relationality in the image of God. It's very clear humanity created in God's image and then right from the get-go it's male and female. It's relationship. There's no, there, in Genesis 1 there is no singular human, Adam, man. As soon as hum, humans are created it's male and female. It's, it's relational, <clears throat> um, reflecting the image and the likeness of God. Later, Christian theologians kind of read into this, and I think it's legit, though it wouldn't be in the Hebrew text itself. They said, well, it makes sense. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, but existing Father, Son, and Spirit. So when he creates in his image, there's man, Adam, but Adam is male and female and together reflect the relational dynamic of God. Then in Genesis 2, and I think of this as just like the biblical writer said, well, let, let me like tell the story in a different way. Let me, let me say it again. In Genesis 2, we have a slightly extended version where man, Adam, Adam, starts out singular, and he's just given a job. He, 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 it's just him, and he's to take care of the garden. <clears throat> so man, singular, as worker. And eventually, in Genesis 2.18, the Lord says, you know, actually it's not good that man is alone. Like this isn't a good thing. 
And it's a very uh, anthropomorphic, humanized accounting of the work of God, but I, I kind of like it. It's God, he crafts man, watches man in the garden doing what God told him to do, and then decides, you know, actually this isn't, this isn't so great. I, I bet you he's lonely. Try, you've read the story, tries a bunch of animals. <laughs> As you know, we all love our pets, but none of, none of these animals cut it. And then finally, uh, the Lord says, you know, I'll make a, a helper, a partner fit for him. And so you have woman then on the scene and there's great rejoicing. Um, and then at the end of chapter two, we get that beautiful, the two shall become one flesh. So you kind of wind up where Genesis one uh, went immediately, namely humanity as male and female together reflecting God's uh, creative work. So my main point with this first scripture is by God's design, we are relational creatures. Remember our theme is love your neighbor as yourself, community, relationship. By God's design, we are relational creatures and we can't understand ourselves in isolation. We are who we are in connection to other folks. I'm a big fan of podcasts. I don't know if everybody is. I think podcasts have become really popular. And there's one I listen to called the Huberman Lab. Huberman teaches at the Stanford Med School. And if you like fitness, health fitness, neuro stuff, uh, the Huberman Lab is a really good podcast. And he had a, another uh, neuroscientist on who was an expert with addiction. And it was a whole episode on kind of the brain chemistry and stuff of addiction. And they got into, you know, why some people become addicted and all the questions pertaining to addiction. And uh, his guest got into the, remember nature and nurture? We, I think we've visited that in school. You know, our, do we understand ourselves as we're born that way or is it early childhood nurture? And I think we all say, well, it's kind of, it's both, isn't it? She added a third N, which I, that's why I'm sharing this, that I really liked. Neighborhood, it's nurture, it's nature, and it's neighborhood. You know, it's our DNA, it's early parenting, and then it's who's our community? Who are we surrounded by? And she said, when an addict quits, if he goes back to the old neighborhood, it's super challenging to stay sober. You need, a, you need a new neighborhood. My dad was in Alcoholics Anonymous for like 30 plus years. And one of the beauties of AA is you, you sort of develop this new neighborhood. It's your fellow you know, folks who are trying not to drink. It's, and it's powerful. Um, but I liked it because it so fits with this understanding that we find in scripture that we are relational in nature. We, we're not just 
autonomous, we're not singular. We're connected to this web of relationships. And then just really quickly, uh, we turn to the New Testament. What do we find in the Gospels? We find Jesus uh, gathering followers. I mean, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, and he needs to build a team. He works with others. We have the 12, right? The 12 who are close to him. And then out of the 12, what? Three, Peter, James, and John, who are like his close friends. So there's this relational uh, dynamic there. I, it even occurred to me that nature, nurture, or nurture, nature, neighborhood thing, almost you could build a Christology out of it. Uh, nature, son of God, fully God, fully man. Nurture, first century Galilean Jew, raised by Jewish parents, right, in Nazareth. And neighborhood, he created this neighborhood of followers, brothers and sisters, community. Um, Book of Acts, chapter 2, Peter preaches that sermon on Pentecost. Folks respond, and we're told at the end of chapter 2 of Acts, and they, they gathered together. They were all together, and they had everything in common. There's kind of this common life. The Greek word there is koinonia, which is a word, you know, folks will hear around, around church. Common life, a web of relationships. Yes, we all respond individually to the gospel. We hear the message, we respond, but when we do, in Acts chapter 2, the picture is we're incorporated into this family, this network of relationships. Discipleship is a, a team sport, right? It's soccer, it's not golf. We're connected, we're connected with other folks. And then the Apostle Paul, this striking image of the church as the body of Christ, like organically connected to one another. We're, we're all parts of the one body. And like a physical body, there's absolute interdependence and connection uh, between us. A freestanding, just a body part, is like the stuff of science fiction or horror movie, right? Uh, Paul's vision of the church is this deeply connected uh, network of relationships. So, to summarize all this, by, by God's design, we do life and faith best when we do it in community. It's not good to grab words from Genesis 2. It's not good to try to go it alone. We need one another. Uh, we're designed for relationship. We see that in the creation story. We see it in the redemption story. We're made for community. So, okay, some practicalities. Uh, assuming I've just like affirmed what you already knew, or uh, convinced you, if you were skeptical about the whole relationship community thing, uh, you know, what are steps we take? What this invitation to wholeness, good envelope, invitation to wholeness, um, you know, they are steps we take. 
when we talk about prayer or service or giving or ministry. Uh, so too with relationship. You know, we have to like do something in order to experience it. We have to uh, take steps to connect. And just as kind of a sidebar, let me say, I, I'm not saying there aren't times for solitude and quiet, alone, you know, alone time. I'm kind of, kind of an introverted guy. I love just being alone. I like, my family thinks I'm totally weird. I'll do like, I'm happy to do a really long drive like down to California by myself. I love it. Listen, I listen to podcasts. I blast my music. I just have silence. I'm, I'm totally fine with, uh, with alone time. And maybe some of you are that way. This isn't the relationship teaching isn't saying never alone time. It's saying <clears throat> in addition to the alone time, remember you're, we're connected. And even the statement, you know, I, I need to get some alone time implies that the other time is what? Like relationship time. So it's both, but we're focused on the, the relationship uh, piece here. But kind of two main ideas on being very practical here. Um, uh, the first is this. I think to fully embrace the blessing of relationship, the blessing of community, and this is like super practical. I, I think we need to make a serious commitment to uh, participating in public worship. It sounds almost so simple, you can't believe this is one of my points. But I, I, I want to make this point. The New Testament word for church is ecclesia. And it literally means people who are called together. An assembly of people. Um, and from a, a Christian point of view, gathering for worship, like we're doing here, and I, I'm going to say something about the online. Where's our camera? Wherever the camera is, if you're watching online, I'm going to address you in just a sec. But I want to say what we're doing here, this is extremely important. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 24 and 25, I love this verse. The writer says, let us consider how to stir one another, one another up to love and good works. Okay. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. <laughs> and I love it that this is in our New Testaments. Because I think, and it strikes me as kind of funny, that the writer to the Hebrews would need to say this. I think we can think that it's uniquely our day and age with busy schedules and kids sports and all the stuff going on that, you know, church being at church is nice when I can do it, but it's, it's a little bit optional. First century, those Christians, some of them were neglecting to meet together, and uh, I would just say, from a biblical perspective, meeting together 
is, is not optional. It's not nice when you can, you know, when the schedule allows. Or, uh, you know, we feel like, hey, you feel like going to church today? Yeah, let's, let's go to church today. That's not the biblical teaching or mandate at all about gathering, <coughs> gathering for worship. Now, I wouldn't want this externally enforced. I don't want church police coming to all the members' homes and saying, you know, get to, wor- uh, get to worship. But let me suggest that it's, it's wise, it's efficacious for us to not think of gathering for worship as optional. From a creation and a redempt- redemption point of view, we need each other. I need you. You need me. We're designed to be in community together. We find wholeness, our theme, our invitation. We find wholeness in community. Now the online folks, I know during the pandemic, everything went online. And I I understand that. But let me go out on a limb just a little bit. I, I think that was something that I don't wanna, I have in my notes, it was a necessary evil, but evil's too strong a word. I don't, I don't mean it's evil. I just think it was necessary, but all of us sitting at home and looking at a screen, if we can be together, is not God's best for us. We need others, others need us. Now, I, I don't wanna to be too heavy handed, sometimes, for medical reasons or whatever reasons, you just can't be physically present. I get it, and what a blessing online video is for folks who can't, we used to call them shut-ins, like they can't be at church. And in the olden days, you'd have people who would visit the shut-ins and maybe bring them a bulletin from church or bring them communion. They're shut-in, they can't be at church. Video, wow, you know, online, what a, what a blessing. But um, if we can be physically at church, I, I think we need to make that a priority. We, we need to be, uh, be together. That's God's best for us. From the earliest Roman persecutions to places in the world today, Christians have risked their lives to meet together. Think about that. Risked their lives in order to meet together. And I don't know about you, but I'm way, it's way easy for me to be like, oh, I think I'll just watch online. Stay in my jammies, coffee, do- sorry, dog. Uh, gather, ecclesia, be together. I was, as Travis mentioned, I was the pastor at Sammamish Press for just under 20 years, and uh, you'll like this, Travis, you'll like this story. Occasionally I would say, because in a church, uh, you know, you all the people aren't happy all the time. And uh, I would say publicly, 
because I would hear it privately, you know, occasionally. Well, we don't, we don't really like the music. Or, uh, sorry, Tyler, I really like you as a person, but I just, I don't like your preaching that much. Or my kid doesn't like to, you know, all these reasons why they're not at church. And I would say, please, find a different church. Find a church where you, you like all those things. So you'll be there. Like, it's not about my church. It's about church and you being in a community. Um, it's, just, it's just that important. It should be a high priority to us. And then my, kind of my closing section here. So commitment to public worship, commitment to a small group in some way, shape, or form. And it's really a kind of extension of church or church, a different, a different version of church. Public worship, awesome, important. Ecclesia, we're all called together. But there's nothing like a committed smaller group to build community the nature of those groups can vary a lot. I laughed. I was at Green Lake, Bethany Green Lake, last Sunday, and they were making announcements for the summer small groups, or I forget the exact names they used, but she gave uh, examples from last summer, and a group that met last summer was called the Great Indoors Group, and they were gamers, video gamers. I just thought it was a funny title. And, and your small group at some point should move beyond playing video games. I just, I thought it was a cute title. But to be a part of a small group uh, where there's sharing life together and, and ideally praying for each other, it makes big church small and manageable. And, you know, how you do that, who you do it with, all that stuff, those are the particulars. I'm trying to make the general point that it's part of not, the not going it alone part to be in some sort of small group. Now, I'm really old, so I have a lot of data to work with here. I'm going to give you some examples of small groups that I'm in now. And a lot of this is life situational. Uh, and I'll, I'll say more about that in a, in a second. But for 41 years, I've been married to Kendi, which I'm counting as a little small group. It's like a little community. I mean, so we share life together. It's kind of the primal small group, you know, a marriage. For 30 plus years, almost 33 years, I've met with two other guys almost every week. And for most of those years, in person. One of the guys travels now, so we do it by Zoom. But almost every week, I've met, for 30 plus years, I've met with Mitch and Scott. I'll use their names. And we share and we pray. We meet for one hour. One hour. And we share A, B, C. Your turn, your turn, your turn. Then we pray. A prays for B, B prays for C, C prays for A. We're done in an hour. We start on time and we end in an hour. 
that group is gold in my life. We've gone through the birth of children, the death of parents, career changes, discouragement and depression, um, health concerns, retirements, celebrations. Just this past week, our first grandchild was born. Our, I say our, <laughs> uh, one of the, Mitch, his first grandchild was born. So that's 30 plus years of life together, praying for each other. Um, again, it's, that's gold to me, absolute gold. It's 30 plus years of weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And I just exhort you, beg you, challenge you. And it takes some work sometimes. And I would say even this, again, life situational, but a same sex, some brothers, some sisters that you can meet with and do life together. You at least have those two other, in my case, two other people praying specifically for what's, uh, what's going on in life. Kenny and I are in a couples group. Been so for eight, nine years now. They're coming over tonight. I'm all excited for our couples group. We do book studies, uh, we eat. It's just sharing life, sharing life together. I'm in what we call our, a learner's group. It's six other guys from my former church. We meet once a month. We do like little TED Talks for each other. Somebody will do a book, a book report or an article. We'll have guest speakers. We just learn stuff. It's the, one of the best things I've ever done. We just get together and learn stuff. We don't do sharing and prayer in that group, but it gives context for relationship and for caring for each other, and for kind of doing life together. So this is my life now. Uh, when my kids were little, it was a totally different story. I wanna, I wanna say that. If you have little kids, like you've been sitting there thinking, yeah, right. I, get, I totally get that. If you have little kids, it's a whole different deal. It has to be adapted, right, to what works for you. And we were in groups, Kendi and I were in groups when our kids were little. And you just get creative, you know, hire babysitters or whatever works for you. But the key is we don't, we, we just can't do this life, this Christian life especially, alone. We need our neighbor who loves us and who we, who we love. It's not good for us, Genesis uh, early chapter, it's not good for us to be alone. We're relational creatures by design. It's God's design for all of us. So the invitation to blessing and wholeness, relationship, great relationships. Let me just close with a, with a poem. I'm not a big poetry guy. Uh, it's like, actually, I just have one poem I really, I really read and, and like. 
but I love this poem. It's by a 16th century uh, pastor and poet um, named John Dunn. He was the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And his poem is about humanity in general, but I think if somehow John Dunn walked through that door, he would agree it absolutely applies to our theme this morning of the body of Christ and community. So I, I just close with this. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or thy, thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Let's uh, join our hearts in prayer. So, Father, uh, thank you that you have made us relational creatures, relational beings. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ affirmed this, affirmed this and modeled it. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that the apostles taught about this uh, theme. And so we pray that you would help each of us in each of our individual life situations to take whatever steps we can uh, with this invitation to uh, be connected to others and share life together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.